Welcome to Founder Chats by Bear Metrics, where we chat with founders and hear about how they started and grew their businesses. My name is Brian Sierkowski. I'm the Director of Ops at Bear Metrics, and this week I talked with Craig Hewitt, the founder of Casters. This episode, we talk about Craig's background and experience being an entrepreneur. We also talked a lot about the actual operations and mentality of running a business, and also EOS, which is something that I've heard of, didn't think I knew about, but maybe we do at Bear Metrics. Anyway, on to the conversation. Hey, Craig, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing? Hey, doing great, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. And so, Craig, you are the you're the founder of Castos? I am. Yeah. Right? Yep. Are you the, the CEO as well? Right. Yeah. I wear, wear a lot of hats, like a lot of founders. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. President, <laughs> chairman of the board. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Awesome. Cool. Um, well, awesome. Thanks so much for, for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Usually, I like to start by saying, uh, hey, take us, take us back. Where did your kind of entrepreneurial journey get started? Yeah. So it's funny, my entrepreneurial journey got started podcasting, I guess I would say, which is, you know, I think a lot of folks kind of scratch their own itch or work in a, in an industry or niche where they have a lot of experience mm-hmm. and, uh, and really understand like the, the customer and the problems and things like that. And for me, that, that was podcasting. I was a huge listener of podcasts. I was in, in a previous life, I was in kind of field-based sales in the medical world. Oh, uh, selling to doctors and hospitals and stuff. I was just traveling all over, you know, creation, going to doctors' offices and hospitals and stuff like that, and had you know several hours a day in the car, and so just listened to a ton of Pat Flynn and Tropical MBA and all those guys, and just really got the bug and was like, I'm going to start a podcast about entrepreneurship. And so I started a podcast that's still going today. It's called Rogue Startups, and. Just wanted to introduce, you know, entrepreneurs, other folks that I know in kind of this bootstrappy kind of space and really quickly saw like, man, this is a lot of fun, but it is a pain, right? All of the editing and the recording and show notes and marketing and all this kind of stuff is just a hassle. And so started a productized service around it called Podcast Motor. And uh, that was kind of my my way to get out of the rat race and, and kind of get started as an entrepreneur. I was able to quit my day job after a couple of years of nights and weekends of that. And that kind of led me into what is now Castos. And we're a podcast hosting and analytics platform. The productized service is still a part of it. And Podcast Motor is now called Castos Productions. That's the real quick version of it is I kind of saw saw the pain myself and, and you know, we created a solution for it. So, you know, Castos Productions now is a kind of done for you podcast editing and production service. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a similar attraction to to podcasts myself where I was like driving around a lot. I had kind of a, a maybe a similar role. I'd be interested to hear more about your your life in field sales, but yeah, like I, I had long drives and I realized like especially if I was driving into the office in the morning just like listening to NPR and you know realizing that the thing I like the most is the interviews and sometimes I'd be driving in to work and they'd be like you know, 45 people were killed in an explosion. And I was just like, oh my God, like, uh, I don't want to out myself for like not being aware of what's going on in the world. But that kind of, I, I kind of quickly realized that, you know, the, the information diet that I was taking in kind of would, you know, hearing about all the terrible things that were happening in the world, right. As I was getting my day started, wasn't, wasn't the best way to show up and be my best self. So that's when I kind of found podcast as well. Like, oh, well, you know, these extensive interviews kind of maybe sounds like it was uh, somewhat, somewhat similar for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great that we can, we can choose the information we consume uh, to a really high degree of specificity now. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. 
and really high hit. quality content too, which is yeah. kind of the new development in the last few years, I think. Yeah, I just got hit by an overwhelming wave of like just realizing that we're doing a podcast right now. It's like uh, it's like I got hit with the meta wave of like <laughs> podcasts talking about podcasts. So let me I'll, I'll cease that <laughs> that line of inquiry now. But yeah, I'm curious to hear like how was how was field sales for you? Like it was how did you get into that sort of role? Yeah, so that is most of what I had done kind of in my professional life before this. I have like an engineering background, proper engineering, not like a developer background. And and so sold pretty technical equipment to, to hospitals in the cardiac field. And it was great. I mean, I, I say even to this day to our team members that like people who have worked for big companies, you know, I worked for Fortune 100 companies, understand things about how companies work and how we all should work inside companies that some people who have just been freelancers all their lives don't don't really get. And and I think especially for us as founders having seen the other side of it, as much as we despise some of the things like, you know, the TPS report type thing, we do understand the usefulness of it. And and if we choose not to do some of those things, we we know that it comes with a price maybe in the end. And so like we try to not have a lot of red tape and meetings and garbage like that, but but we do understand that communication is really super important. And and I take that from my kind of corporate days. That's cool. Is there anything in particular or like a mistake that you see smaller companies making, maybe because they're not exposed to like some of these kind of like in a way it's kind of solved problems in the, the larger corporate world. Yeah, I think that you know it's it's a thing that we're going through right now is and I think it is something that happens in teams around our size. So, so we're 14 people right now is that when you're one or two people it's easy for everyone to understand that they have to own the entire thing they're working on. You know, every part of marketing or every part of engineering is is their world. But you know we're five developers on our team right now, and we're we're starting to see a bit of like not it's that's not my problem, but like I can come and write the code and submit the PR, and then like someone else is going to deploy it, <laughs> you know, or I assign this ticket to someone else, and it's not my problem anymore, just because you know we're a bigger organization than two or three people, and the the type of work that we did was very consultative to where we were really partnering with our customers in my corporate life before. And so that's just second nature to me to say like, hey, we are here standing next to the customer. And and so I think that I try to impart a lot of that on on our team. And some people haven't worked in that kind of world before. And so like, I think that's something that I that I bring over that some people on our team haven't kind of had before in their work life. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you found any techniques that you've been able to deploy? Because I've experienced the same thing of depending on the size teams that you work on, really anybody in any field or any department within the company can become super like insulated, even like surprisingly, like on like the marketing side or sales side, it's like somehow, you know, when you're, even though your full-time job is to communicate with customers, you know, it's possible to do any job without talking or really like deeply thinking about the customers. I think especially developers, because there, there is kind of inherently some distance between the people who are, I guess, quote unquote, supposed to talk to the customers and then the people that actually do the work. But it sounds like maybe, or I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe maybe you've had a little bit of experience with that. Have you found any techniques that that work to kind of bridge that gap in a, in a productive way? Yeah, I think that, that specifically, you know, everyone on our team talks to customers. We have that that is just how we work, that everyone in our team participates in support to some extent, at least. So they all log in, they're all seeing tickets. 
They're all chatting with customers. And I think it's a really valuable thing that we do because they do just get in the habit of talking to customers. And when they do that, they naturally interface with other parts of the company to help solve customers' problems. And and so that's just something that we've baked into to the DNA. And I know there's a lot of arguments for like, oh, developers shouldn't be doing support and it makes them less efficient and all this kind of stuff. And maybe that's true. But, you know, in the end of the day, a developer handling a support ticket from a technical perspective is absolutely the best way <laughs> for a problem to get solved. And, you know, marketing and sales folks obviously talking to to customers and then talking to engineering and product and things like that as a result of that. So a lot of a lot of those discussions internally start with a, a conversation with the customer, whether it's a sales call or a marketing campaign or a support ticket or a you know new feature. It all kind of starts with a customer, and then the discussions internally, kind of that cross pollinate between groups, happen pretty naturally because yeah, nobody has all the answers, uh, or they want to get a perspective from another part of the company that hey, customer conversation made me think about this. And we ever thought about that? What do we what do we think about this? So so that's that's a lot of kind of how that starts, and it's it's pretty natural. And there's no there's no ongoing process that we have to follow or checklist or anything like that because of that. Cool, that, that's awesome. I've I've heard a lot of anecdotes and experienced firsthand a similar thing, is even specifically around developers being in the in the support queue. You know, where it's the type of thing where oh, the support team has been pushing the development team for like weeks or months or years or whatever to fix something. And it just always kind of gets prioritized at the bottom of the list. And then you bring the development team into the support queue and they're talking to a customer. It just kind of feels like they get, they get curious mm-hmm. and they go, Oh, well like, yeah, what is going on there? And you know, when it's, I always believe that, you know, the closer you can get to the customer or the more synchronous, like if you're on a phone call with somebody or you're on a video call with somebody, that's always like, more valuable data. And so, yeah, I've seen that the the development team goes from, you know, this is a ticket to be prioritized to, oh, well, give me five minutes and I'll fix it right now. Well, you know, it's just like, I don't know. And I feel like there's no, there's no bad intent by anybody in there. There's just something a little bit different in looking at a long list of tasks in a backlog versus talking to a person who's trying to solve some problem or make their business better or whatever, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to do. It's like, oh, well, that kind of humanity aspect kicks in. It's like, oh, I want to, I want to help this person. This, you know, seems like, you know, Craig seems like a good guy. I want to help him out. I want to make sure that his business does the best that it can. And I have the skills to do so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, folks listening to this might say, oh my gosh, I, I couldn't put my developer in the support queue and have them answer, answer emails, but they're amazing at it. All, all of our developers do it. We're on just kind of a regular rotation. So you just, you know, one every five or six weeks, uh, someone's on support rotation there for the week. And it's amazing. The The tone that they use is is fantastic. And they get really curious about the, the technical things that the customers are seeing in a way that I or our other product people, you know, wouldn't um, be, because they think about it from a different perspective. So I think it's just a really healthy kind of variety of, of ways that we view things that customers are experiencing. Awesome. Can, can you speak a little bit more to how you have that set up Logistically, it sounds like you have like a, a rotation, but is it just like one, is it the, the developers in the support queue for the whole week or how does that, how does that play out? Yeah, that's exactly right. So each developer takes a week uh, at a time and they're on kind of a regular rotation. So again, every five or six weeks, they're, they're on kind of developer support and they only handle tickets that the support team escalates to them. So it's typically only a couple of tickets a day and, and their goal then is to 
you know, they really have two options, right? One is this is a bug or an issue. And then, you know, an issue is filed for it. And, and hopefully they can write the code to fix that bug that week, you know, is, is really the goal. If, if all, if we're firing on all cylinders, that's the, the goal is they see the bug, they write the issue, they'd write the test, they write the code to fix it. Or this is not really a thing for developer support, but here's how we can train the customer support team to handle this themselves in the future. So it doesn't need to get escalated in the, you know, the next time they see this. So the, everything should fall in one of two buckets. Of course, it's never a perfect world, but but the goal is that the developer on support shouldn't see the same thing twice. That's the goal we're shooting for. Cool. That's awesome. And what is the rest of the team doing while you have the you know the the elected support <laughs> representative? <laughs> what what does everybody else do during that time on the development team? You mean? Yes. Yeah, they're they're doing their regular you know feature and bug related stuff. Got it. So they're, they're still working in a mix of, I guess the thing I was wondering was, does that make it so that the rest of the team is strictly focused on feature development? Uh, but it sounds like they're, they're handling a mix as well of the, the bugs that haven't been, you know, that that one person hasn't knocked out and, and those sorts of things as well. Yeah. You know, we're a relatively mature platform. We're about four years old. So most things that we're working on these days are, fe- you know, new features. And that's where most of our time is spent. But, but some things are you know, hey, this is not really a bug necessarily, but it isn't quite perfect. And we need to kind of refactor, rework how this thing goes just because customers run into bumps along the road when they encounter this thing sometimes. And and that's maybe the 20% of stuff that the development team works on. The rest is new features and integrations and things like that. Awesome. Cool. Well, I want to I want to go back a little bit. So you were on the road, you were doing field sales, and then you kind of found this, you know, had this this personal revelation with podcasts. Do you remember how you came across podcasts in the first place? Gosh, that's a long time ago. I don't remember. No, no. I mean, and the strange kind of sad maybe thing is, is I was in San Diego at the time, which is kind of like the epicenter for a lot of the entrepreneurial podcasting stuff. And, and I found a lot of these folks just as we were leaving there. But no, I don't remember how I came across podcasting. But I mean, the, t- the two people I mentioned earlier, like, Pat Flynn, and then Dan and Ian from Tropical MBA, Rob Walling from Startups for the rest of us were were some of the first that that I kind of got hooked on, and and everything went from there. That's cool. Yeah, I don't I don't think I remember either. I don't even think I remember the first batch. And yeah, I don't know if you remember this, but I like was were they called podcasts at the time that you got? Like, I almost feel like there was like this sort of level of amorphism in the very early days of like, well, what. You know what? What is it exactly that we're even listening to here? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not that old school. So yeah, everything was called a podcast. It downloaded automatically onto your iPhone. So yeah, it wasn't quite quite that old school. I know some people that yeah, you got to plug it into the USB on your computer <laughs> yeah. and sync it and all this kind. Of, no, that wasn't. You, you that wasn't my journey. The, drive to the mall. Right, and, like, there's right, a guy right. there and he <laughs> yeah. gives you the audio files. Crank the um, wheel and everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the fire and then the, the ball goes down the, the ramp and then that, that triggers the broom, which, yeah. Cool. So you, you kind of found this thing. And then can you speak a little bit more in detail about, you know, you kind of went from being a someone who was like a, a listener to becoming someone who's like, oh, well, you know, what was that? Do you remember what that moment was where like, oh, well, uh, not only can I listen to these things, but I could also make one as well. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, you know this was in the the part of my entrepreneurial journey where I like, I literally knew nothing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so 
I just said, I want to be in this space. You know, I want to be in this world. I want to know people that do this so that I can learn from them and, and, you know, we can do things together maybe. And, and the only way that, that I knew that was to just start a podcast and interview a bunch of them. And, and that's how it started. And then like, yeah, the third person I interviewed ended up being my co-host and it's been more of a co-host show since then. But yeah, I think I just saw like, I want to participate in this community. This seems like a really cool lifestyle and way to earn a living and support my family. I don't know anything about it, you know, so I just want to have as many conversations with smart people as I can. And that's really how the podcast started. And I mean, I think a lot of folks you talk to about their podcast, the the stories of like, oh, because of my podcast, I was able to X, Y, Z are are amazing. We have people on our team now who I know from podcasting and like, you don't even have to interview them because like you've had them on your podcast, you've been on their podcast, you know them from this huge body of work that they do that's all public and you just like, hey, let's work together. And it's just a slam dunk. We call it like the the digital CV, right? Is like, and it works on a on a personal level and on on like a brand level is, you know, you think about like this podcast for you all, as you go into like a partnership discussion or trying to sell a big enterprise deal or something, you can say, hey, look, we can go have this meeting or, and, and I can tell you all about where, you know, what we're about. Or you can go listen to the last 20 episodes of my podcast and get a really good feel for, for who I am and what we stand for and what we do here. And I think more and more people are seeing that these days that like, especially things like a resume and a pitch deck and all this kind of stuff are so contrived compared to the body of work that you put out in public for everyone to consume, including your customers and your prospects. And it's just so much more powerful. Yeah, it's interesting. If you if you have a podcast that's out there, it's it's relatively easy for someone to know who you are and know, you know, get get to know you yeah. before in a way that, yeah, to your point, like the resume, I think it's like an issue. I haven't I fortunately have not needed to apply for that many jobs. I think it's actually pretty common that people don't apply for a lot of jobs. And then you you're sort of face down with the situation like, okay, time to update the resume. And I have like one page to <laughs> sum up who I am and my experience and my skills, but also my personality and what's important to me in a way that I, I think is like kind of like maybe maybe not deceptively difficult, but that's what I'll say. It's kind of like, oh, that's like a really challenging, like a really easy to come up with an incomplete picture of somebody. So yeah, it's a great point of like, it would be relatively straightforward if somebody wanted to like get to know me before they even reached out is that they could listen to and watch any recorded content that I have out there. And then probably like five minutes of that, they would know whether or not they wanted to interact with me. They'd be like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, actually, I don't, I don't know if I want to, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I want to be around this guy too much. Yeah. I mean, to, and to that end, we don't, we don't ever ask for resumes when we're hiring just because yeah, it is really contrived artificial source of information about someone, but much rather, Hey, let's, you know, show me your work. If you're a developer, show me your open source contributions. Show me your test project. If you're a marketer, hey, let's work on this campaign together. What have you done in the past? That all of that is just so much more authentic than yeah, that one page of bullet points and dates and really abstract stuff that a lot of times has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with the job you're applying for. So right. we just don't even ask for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I agree. Like you kind of get get away from the more you can get away from abstraction, that's the way I've always, I've been hiring developers for a while. And that's why it's always like, first meeting is like, let's grab 
coffee or, you know, whatever, grab lunch. Let's have a, have a quick conversation just to see, like, I've had candidates that like just seem like they weren't actually interested or like didn't want to talk to me. Or maybe mm-hmm. that's more to the previous point I just made of like, they're like, oh, geez, I don't know about this guy. Or giving like one word answers of like, hey, like, well, um, cool. You, you were, you just uh, went to a developer boot camp. Can you tell me about that? Like, how was that? And they're like, good. Okay. So, you know, but you know, most people don't do that. They get through the second one. And then usually that one for me is like, well, bring, bring your laptop or whatever you have, you know, if you want to bring your desktop, that's fine. And then let's sit down and work together on a project that you're working on. You know, doesn't matter whatever code base, whatever tool set that, you know, home field advantage for you. And then let's just sit down and then they'll show me what they're working on. And I'll go, usually it's like error stuff of like, oh, well, there's a field there. Well, what if you put a number instead of a string in there and it breaks? I'm like, okay, cool. Let's fix that. And then you can kind of like watch like, how fast are they in their in their IDE? How fast are they? Like, how well do they know the tools? How how long does it take them to determine if it's like a you know a model versus a view thing? And do they even a lot of times like do they even make passing reference to oh well here's where I would write a test if we weren't we weren't in an interview I'm going to skip that for now but mm-hmm. you know <laughs> uh, so a lot of times people are like you know not even thinking about tests yeah and you get to your exactly to your point it's like I'm not even putting you in front of a whiteboard it's like just show me you doing the thing that I'm going to ask you to do. And then you'll know, <laughs> shockingly, you'll know how good they are at doing the thing that you're going to hire them for to, you know, much better than if you ask them, you know, a bunch of hypothetical things or, you know, you know, describe to me on a piece of paper how good you are at this. Like, mm-hmm. That's not particularly useful. Yeah. And I think, I think it goes both ways, right? Like, they want to, especially developers these days, well, everybody, like in this kind of, you know, SaaS digital world, everybody wants to do this, you know? And so the the competition is really strong, I, I think, I guess both ways, but it, it needs to be a really good fit for both sides. Developers have a lot of optionality to, to go work other places. And so hey, we're finding that, you know, we need to sell Castos and the vision of what we're doing just as much as they need to sell them and and who they are and their experience and their skills and, and all that to us. And that's that's awesome because then it is really this genuinely good fit if if we get to that point of saying, hey, let's work do a test we do a, we do test projects a lot, but but I think we're moving to more of just a yeah, like a technical conversation. You know, like, hey, I'm looking at this thing. How would you think about this? Like I don't need to see someone's code necessarily if they can think through something appropriately. And so we're moving more towards more towards that because then it shows us how they think and then it shows them kind of the things that we think are important and that, and that we focus on. Because yeah, we, that, that good fit both on both sides is hugely important. Have you found anything that works particularly well to sell the vision or kind of set up like who the company company is and what you stand for in that interview process? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like, if you would have told me, you know, three years ago, even that that I would be talking about our values, uh, so we have our <laughs> values on our site, but like, we reference our values all the time. And if you would have told me three years ago, Craig is going to use the values on the website in job postings and interviews. And, you know, when we're filtering candidates, I would have told you you're crazy. But it is like we've we, we took a lot of time to think through those and and really distill them down to who we are and who we want to be as as individuals and as a company. And the cool thing about taking that much time to get that 100% or as close to 100% right as we can is that then it's just a yardstick against which we measure how we're doing and you know the people that we're looking to bring into the company and, and how good a fit they would be. 
so we talk a lot about our values and and then like you you can kind of see like do people start squirming you know or right. do they really click with what you're talking about and that that's the starting point of of a lot of the the culture side of things interesting it's like what you're saying at the beginning around there are some elements of that corporate culture that can be misused but that might be you know the corporate values is something that like oh there's actually there's actually some good ideas here there's actually there's actually some something useful here for us to to make use of yeah yeah and we have you know our candidates come in and say hey i was reading your about page and i saw this value you listed that is so incredible can you tell me more about that mm, uh, and to me that's, that's just amazing. like a huge light bulb that's a great sign would you share some of your some of your values with us yeah i will share all of them with us i have them <laughs> right here hang on just a second Awesome. So yeah, we have six values. Uh, The first is have a winning attitude. We work hard every day to be the absolute best podcasting platform for all of our customers. Second one is we are humble, help others first. We think of our team members and customers needs before our own and live to serve. Uh, The next one is practice fanatical commitment to detail and consistency. No detail is too small. Nothing is overlooked. Building best-in-class tools take consistent effort and focus over years. Have personal integrity and accountability. Especially as a remote team, we're individually accountable for our responsibilities every day. This is both to our team members and our customers. Encourage individuality. A significant part of our strength is the diverse backgrounds that our team comes from. We encourage everyone to proudly be themselves and let that shine. And the last one is communicate openly and proactively, take the time to let all parties know what's going on with us, how we're feeling and what we need to be successful. That's great. Yeah. I, I love that. We, we went through a similar exercise. I, I sold one of my previous businesses and we were kind of installed as like a sub business unit inside of a larger company. We kind of went through a similar thing. We actually had a lot of the, a lot of the same things that you had as far as like, especially around communication of like, it's kind of my, my nature as well. I do think there's some natural, you know, rubbing off of the people in leadership of like how that actually enforces and informs the culture. I'm curious, like, I'm sure there's probably some obvious and straightforward ways that culture has informed the way that you've proceeded. But, and if you have some of those, I'd love to hear it. But I'm also curious of like, have the, can you think of any like, really challenging situations where maybe you wanted to do something else, but relying upon your values, you were like, actually, you know, we're, we're not going to do that thing. We're going to do something else because this is more in accordance with our values. Mm, yeah. Yeah. A couple of things come to mind. One, one is we, we recently raised a, a fundraising round, we raised about $750,000 and Again, if you would have told me that like three years ago that I would be talking about our values as it relates to to fundraising, I would tell you you're crazy. But but it really like the the values are just kind of who I am and who I want us to be. And and so we raised money because we think that we can do more good for the company and for ourselves and for our customers with more resources. And and so that is just like that exists in most of our values. You know that that ends result. And and then fundraising is just like the vehicle that lets us have a better chance of achieving it. And, and I think, so So that's an example of like why we did something. And and we have several examples of of why we didn't do something. And most of it around revolves around like bringing people on or 
continuing to have people on the team because they did or didn't align with our value. Because it's just like, especially the communication one, it's just so obvious when everyone else is, you know, hanging out in Slack and goofing off and showing all these GIFs and stuff like that. And then you just never hear from this one person. And you're like, this is just obviously not a good fit, right? And like, it, it, I think that, that that seems like a cop-out, you know, reason for someone not to continue staying on the team. And if you have to let someone go, it's like, hey, you're not a good fit. But that's just honest to God, the truth, right? Is like, this is who we are and this is who you are. And like, it's just not great for everyone to to continue to try to, you know, fit this square peg in a round hole. You're going to be much happier somewhere else. And, and, you know, we will be too. And I think that's kind of a graceful thing to, to give someone is that out to say like, Hey, I just don't think this is a good fit. You're going to go be much happier somewhere else doing something different. And, you know, the other side of that is we will too. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> we will also benefit yeah. from that. Yeah. I saw a conversation around kind of like the, the no assholes rule. Mm. And my, my reflection on that was that the type of, you know, asshole, quote unquote, that will manifest in your business is probably like a lot less of an asshole than what like, it's like, yes, if somebody's walking around your office and flipping desks over and like you know, punching, <laughs> punching holes in the wall, you'd be like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's an asshole, get him out of here. But if you have, so I think the actual manifestation of like, maybe to your point, and, and maybe this is not exactly the same thing. But it's like, it's like a, a lessened version of like, well, if everybody else in the company is like, if you have a value at responding to your teammates quickly, and this person like, always waits until the next day, or, you know, they're, they're just not courteous when they're doing, especially if it's like a review process, a material review, or a PR review, or something like that. It's like, oh, this person's just like, not quite as nice. Like, I think that's the actual manifestation of the, the no assholes rule. It's like, it's going to be much more subtle. It's going to be like less cartoony mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. what you might imagine when you say like, hey, like no assholes. Yeah, it just creates friction, right? And and there's enough of it doing this, right? In, in a startup that that you want everybody as on board as you can with, without having to even think about those things. Have you ever been called out by a, a teammate for not following or not doing something that's not doesn't line up with the values? Oh, that's a good question. Not that I remember is what I'll say. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't recall. I'm sure there are things I've done and whether I've been called out for them or not, I don't know. Yeah, I figured that was a long shot, but it'd be a yeah, funny story yeah. if you're like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you got the, the whole company together, you're doing it all hands and you're like, yeah, we're going to raise, you know, $20 million and somebody raises their hand and they go, hey, what about this? Like, we're in the for the long term, <laughs> like, right. and you're like, oh, yeah, yikes, you are, you are correct. Maybe we should reevaluate that. But it's kind of hard for you. I think as the, you know, someone in a leadership position, it's a little bit harder for you to not fall in line with the values because it's like you said, it's kind of a reflection of like, it is a representation of who you want to be. So kind of like, it's almost like by doing not exactly, this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but by you doing what you want to do, that is going to naturally represent and reflect like what you've set out in the values. Yeah, no, I think it's spot on. I think it's spot on. You know, when we got to not like eight people, I guess, I started thinking a lot about like our culture and like values relate to culture a lot. And and I think the, the phrase that I heard that really resonated was your culture is the personification of your values. I think it was like either the the buffer guys or the help scout guys talking about that. And so it's just like, 
the culture is who I am, you know, as a leader and who, you know, everyone you bring into the team is. And hopefully they all are aligned with the, the values that we state. So if somebody's listening and they're they're maybe at a smaller scale company, or maybe they've not gone this through this before, but they're they're listening to this and they're like, wow, having these values written down sounds really, really nice and really useful. What would you recommend as like a step one to get them moving in that direction? Yeah, I, I think that that just listing out in kind of plain English, like who who you are and who you want to be is is a really good place to start. And, and you know, like we all kind of stand on the shoulders of giants, right? I looked around at a lot of companies that I respect and mm-hmm. and saw the things they were seeing, because in a lot of ways that's the same thing, right? Is like Buffer is an amazing company. We want to be like Buffer. And so right. I looked at what they had to say. And and you kind of you're able to pick and choose and hey, yep, that one kind of doesn't really make sense with what we're saying and this one does and I want to add my own unique twist on it here and and I think it's a it's very much an iterative process to where you you write a bunch of this stuff down and you have a list that's much longer than it'll be in the end and then you let it sit there for a week and you come back to it with with fresh perspective that that's how we did it interesting well, that seems super achievable just you know look around and see what resonates with you and maybe you find that some of the things that you that resonate with you are aspirational. Like, oh, well, this is like the type of company we'd like to be. I guess, how would you, and maybe this doesn't happen in practice. Maybe it's only like me, like imagining how this process goes. But like, if you have a company and they've written down this big list and they find that there's some, maybe they have some value that they find as something like, oh, well, like only 40 hour weeks or something like that. And then they go into a hard situation where there's a requirement, you know, Basically, someone's made a mistake and things are not going to plan uh, and someone needs to like spend more time. And, and the the founders, the leadership finds that like, ah, actually, you know what? I'm a, kind of okay with that in this limited scenario. Like, how would you coach them and recommend to them if they're like, well, is this a value that you want to continue to work towards? Or when is it okay to sort of let go of a value because you just, for lack of a better word, like they like the way that it sounds, but they actually didn't, doesn't actually embody the organization. Mm, yeah. I don't know specifically, I guess, but I would say generally that all of these things are are written in pencil <laughs> from our end, right? Is is like we want to revisit them often and we want to consider them and we want to always be aware of them. And if something doesn't make sense for us anymore, we can all agree that it doesn't and and then that's time to change it, right? It's it's my company. And if I say that 40 hour weeks aren't what we're going to do anymore, then then that's, and there's a good reason for it that is supported by other stuff that we are and want to be, then I think it makes sense to change. I think f- a lot of folks get too hung up on, hey, I said this thing, so I'm going to stick with it forever, you know, not wanting to be uh, accused of being the flip-flop politician. But I think, I mean, there's so much that changes on a daily basis in our business that that like we have to have some things that are relatively firm and strict. And then we have to have some things that, that are going to change a lot. And, and, and I guess those, those can be different things at different times. Interesting. And it sounds like you, you leaned on that communication aspect. So if you were to, you know, one week you say, Hey, this is, this is what we're, what we're doing. <laughs> this is who we are. And then the next week you say like, uh, actually I thought about it. And that's not who we are. You know, it wouldn't just be like a, a one line email that says, you know, like everybody, please strike this line from our your values. You would probably include a little bit more context of like, hey, like you know, this is this is kind of the rule that I set, and I thought it was going to help us, you know, get to this direction. And then I realized that you know, whatever the reason is, like actually, that's 
totally tangential to the thing that, you know, we're, I was trying to do, or maybe even just, I, I don't know how transparent you are, but maybe say something like, Hey, like I was just wrong. Like I just didn't, like, I thought this was going to be good for us. And then as I actually saw it in practice, like I was just, I was just wrong about that. Like it, that, it totally sucked. Like it was, it was awful. And that's, you know, a hundred percent on me. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that happens all the time. And I am pretty transparent about, you know, I'm doing my best and definitely making up a lot of this as we go. And and a lot of these things are experiments and some of them will be wrong. We had one recently where we we got on the EOS bandwagon pretty hard around the end of last year. And for, I guess, like the last half of last year and the first quarter of this year. And I was at the end of the first quarter, I was just like, God, this is just not like, this doesn't feel right. You know, I want to, I want to not do this anymore. <laughs> and, and so we didn't have quarterly rocks. We didn't have milestones. We didn't have the typical kind of weekly meeting. And we got kind of listless, you know, we got like people weren't really clear on the, on the goals and the big picture things we were trying to do. And they didn't know what success looked like. And so, you know, starting Discord here in the third quarter, went back to EOS, had rocks talked about rocks a lot, talked about the thing that we want each kind of group of the company to be doing and, and big things that we're trying to ship or achieve this quarter. And it's great because I hear I hear everyone talking <laughs> about their rocks and they're very aware that like, hey, this is when I show up at work, this is the thing I'm trying to achieve. And so like we didn't do it because like I don't want to be a big corporate behemoth, but something that I have come to realize and it's really counterintuitive to me because I'm an entrepreneur and I absolutely don't want this, but is pretty much everyone who wants to be an employee at a company wants to be led somewhere. And for all, everyone listening to this <laughs> and for all of us, we don't, you know, we want to make up the rules, but pretty much everybody else needs direction and feels really secure when they're very clear about what the thing is. And like, that was a really hard thing for me to to get over because, yeah, I mean, I just want to show up and do whatever I want to do today. And that requires or carries like a fair amount of cognitive load for me. But if I can say, hey, support team, this is the goal, right? We have a net churn percentage that we want to try to achieve this quarter. However we achieve it, we achieve. And then that takes all the guesswork off their plate and just lets them focus on executing. Yeah, I think that's really, that's really valuable. And I agree. I, I've noticed the same thing of like all of the everything that has made me a terrible employee throughout you know, basically my entire career makes me a pretty good leader within a company. And yeah, I, I've totally found the same thing. And I think there's like, there's such an art to you, you want to make the goal specific enough that uh, it's clear and measurable. And nobody asks like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> like, it should be like, pretty clear. And, and I think in doing that too, I think one of the benefits that you give as a leader to the people that you're giving those goals to is you're kind of like eating the uncertainty of it. Like you're saying like, well, like a, we do kind of a similar thing too for like our success team. We have this, this add-on that basically for everybody who uses it, it makes the company more money than we charge for it. So, and like 30% of our customers use it. So that was my opportunity to say like, hey, well, let's get that to, let's get that to 50%. Like, can we, can we get free money to 50% for everybody? And then that just gives them something. And maybe I think it's kind of also inherent in what you're saying, how they get there and what they want to try and how they want to experiment. You sort of have created the bounds of what you're expecting and you have something that they can report on and something, you know, just kind of 
it gets the department out of blank sheet of paper territory. But then you have total freedom to, as long as you can like with a straight face say, and I thought this was going to help us hit our goal at the end, then you're, you're totally good. Like you're, you know, we're, we're it's not like a failure elimination exercise, or I, I don't know, how, how do you, how do you think about it from that perspective? This is like a spectrum, you know, like how deep mm-hmm. into these kind of things you go is, is it's not binary, but the, the place that we are, and we're just getting into is when we have these goals, a person or two people can be responsible for a goal. And then the responsibility, and they're like leadership level folks, right? They're not, you know, like a junior developer responsible for a, like a, a net bug goal or something like that, but they're responsible for the goal. And then the onus does flip a bit to them to say like, hey, you're the leader of the support and success team. Our net re- net revenue churn number is your number. You know, I am here to help you in any way I can, the people and resources and tools and process and all that kind of stuff. And we will come up with the the plan together of how, how to achieve that. But it's your goal. You know, I own all of the goals <laughs> to some extent, but but this is primarily your goal. And this is something that I've heard from folks that really, really kind of drink the EOS Kool-Aid is it just lets you abstract away those goals to and, and have someone else be responsible for them in the end. And like, we're just starting to see this where like, we, we kind of reviewed our goals in a meeting a couple weeks ago. And then immediately <laughs> I had three different DMs from different leaders in the company saying, Hey, I got to talk to you about this thing that I'm responsible for now, because I don't know how we're going to do this. And it was great because we got to hop on a discussion. Hey, let's talk about this thing. Okay. We need to hire this person over here, get this tool or implement this process. And like five minutes, they were, they were totally cool with it. And, and they have a plan and a roadmap and they have all the tools they need. They know that I'm here to support them, but, but it is their thing. That's the, for me, the big key. Otherwise, like it would just be a company of one and I would be responsible for everything, but we can achieve so much more if people know, you know, what the goal is and that they know that I'm here to help them achieve it and that, you know, the company's behind them. That's awesome. I'm realizing we do more. I've never been at a company that has been going through the last company I worked at started doing EOS after they got rid of me. So okay. I don't know. I don't know if that was a part of the playbook, but <laughs> it seemed like it was, it was ahead of time. Would sounds like you've had good experiences. Is that is EOS something you'd recommend to other businesses? Yeah, you know, I think that we're just the size now to where mm-hmm. it really makes sense. And the reason we stopped doing it before is we were just such a smaller team that it's silly when you're five or six people because the own the founder owns all of those. And there's no not no sense. There's less sense communicating all that. And certainly no one else is going to own many of those, those goals. So, you know, at this point now we have kind of leaders in each of the parts of the company that are of the caliber who can own a goal like that. So I think just the, the size we are now or, or, you know, have the, the type people on the team maybe to where it makes more sense. But yeah, it's been fantastic for us so far. Yeah. Cool. Sounds like maybe the, the trigger is when you have each of your departments has somebody that could reasonably be in charge of that yep. of that department, that's when you might want to kick in. If it's the person on the support team is also the person doing all the support and the person on the development team is doing all the development, then maybe that's a little bit premature because then it's be like, okay, well, we're going to set a goal and I'm also going to do the goal. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, very, it feels very hand to mouth before you, you hit that, that type of scale. That's how we felt. Yeah. You know, I think everybody's a little different, but that's how we felt. Yeah. 
yeah, maybe like if we put a number on it, maybe like sounds like maybe like 12, 12 to 15 people might be kind of the entry point depending on the shape of your business. I would think, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure they, I'm sure they would tell you that too. I, again, I've never interacted with EOS, but I've heard, I've always heard it kind of peripherally. So it sounds like something, something useful for people to look into if they are feeling, maybe you can speak to that too. Like if, if a company is in that right size, they, they have 15 employees, they have department leaders, like what was, what were you feeling that made it a good fit for like, just to kind of connect anybody who's listening to this, was it, you know, I'm responsible for everything or kind of what were the thoughts that you're like, oh, I'm going to reach for this tool to try to solve this? That's exactly. Yeah. It's I, not that I am doing everything because a lot of other people are doing a lot of things in the company, but yeah, at the sure. end of the day, it's all on my shoulders. And, and, and I, I am very kind of wary of like premature optimization and premature structure and process and things like that in an organization. But I think most founders of companies like ours are too late to do some of these things. If you look at like your company, right? Big, bigger company, right? Has all this process in place. It's natural to impart those processes when you acquire a new company. Right. For for us starting from nothing, from a process and structure perspective, doing that first bit of, of process or adopting that bit of structure seems like this thing that you should never do. <laughs> and so I right. think that I think that a lot of founders struggle with that because they don't want to be the stick in the mud. They don't want to be the person to introduce the process. They don't want to be fuddy-duddy corporate office space kind of guy. But but I think what like what you're what we're trying to unlock in the end is what if the like the 14 people on our team can operate at such a higher level to where we're yeah. all more successful. We're less stressed. We all know what is going on all the time. We know what the thing is and we're, we're happier and more productive at work. Like that, that's really like what we're trying to do. And it came from me shouldering all of that for too long and right. just kind of said, fuck, <laughs> like, I can't do yeah. this. I can't, I can't sure. be the person that everyone comes to for everything anymore. And then you yeah, got to say a little bit like, all right, maybe it's like six months too early to do this, but in two years, we will have absolutely had to do this right. a long time ago. So it's about the right time. Yeah. You want to kind of get out of the like mech suit CEO where it's like, yeah, there's a marketing team, but it's kind of like you are like, you're driving, like you're, you know, you're lifting that arm and you're pointing it in the right direction. You say, okay, go this direction. Yeah, totally. And I, I totally agree with you of like, it's, I think if anybody is is hesitant to sort of put these sorts of processes in place, I I found that the because I'm I'm actually kind of similar because I ran my own business and then I kind of came into this private equity world. And you're right, it's like totally, it's not totally opposite. It's actually working within this environment is as close as I've ever been to running my own business, which is really cool. But there are other people uh, who are running businesses who are not, you know, career entrepreneurs. And they really, they get to kind of just like lean back into all these great proven processes where I feel like I sometimes am in the situation where I'm like fighting upstream of like, well, you know, I need to, I need to do everything at least first so that I can tell, you know, other people what to do. And, uh, you know, like, well, you know, if I'm not willing to wake up at 4am, then I shouldn't expect anybody else to wake up early. We have a international team in every time zone. So it's always a bad time for somebody, mm. but yeah, it's like when you kind of set the goals and you get out of people's way, then you see people, they have this awesome opportunity to step up. And then they get to kind of almost in the same way that like the, it's a safe environment for me because I'm like running a company within a portfolio of other companies, kind of you make it safe for them because it's like, well, you're running this department 
within, you know, hopefully a functional, <laughs> you know, a well, a well run company. And so you have a little bit more flexibility, but you also get to kind of, you know, get that, get that joy of like, Hey, I had this idea and I tried it and it probably is going to tank, but sometimes it works and mm-hmm. that feels really good. Yeah. Yep. We had a guy join the team. He was at Google previously and he was just kind of laughing. He's in one of the other portfolio companies and he was just like, yeah, like, you know, I thought our pricing was too low. So I ran an experiment the next day and I got data over that week and I realized that, you know, we could raise our prices by 20%, you know, whatever. Actually, I think it's more than that. And then I was just laughing with him like, oh, when you were at Google, did they they let you change the homepage at all? Or what was the process there? And he was like, yeah, no, mm. uh, you're you're like 14, 14 layers you know, separated between you and the product, uh, obviously. Yeah, Because sure. like one, one missed pixel on the Google homepage costs them like, Fourteen trillion dollars a second. So they can, <laughs> it's just different, different scales and different, different experiences that you can have working at a company. I have a question for you, if you don't mind. How sure. how do you all approach that kind of like individual contributor contribution back to kind of the the vision and the plan and the process and stuff like that? How does somebody on your team bubble things back up to leadership? Sure. Yeah. It's actually funny hearing you talk about EOS because it's a seems like it's a pretty similar setup that we have. And probably some of that's just been amalgamated through through the fund. But yeah, we have quarterly goals and I set those quarterly goals and they're like usually like big things, big rocks, one might say. You know, it's like and it'll be something like something department wide, like, you know, this is the amount of revenue I want us to get to. And then it'll be something like if there's a big experiment or a big project that we want to complete. But for example, I think it was quarter two, maybe it was quarter one. Stripe was changing the API that that they were like the API that we were using to interact with Stripe data, which is super core to our business. That API was going away and we needed to move to another one. So that was an example of like that would be a big rock for us so that, you know, the development team obviously is leading that, but the support team is supporting it. And the marketing team is like providing information to the customers. And then if there's any like weirdness going on, the sales team need to be looped into that. So when they're talking to customers, they were aware of like, oh yeah, you're experiencing like migration pain or whatever the case is. And so, and then we'll have like kind of like special projects too. So if any of those actually materialize, <laughs> I'll, you know, share about those. And then I, what I've been doing and I've just been experimenting with this as of this quarter is like when you have something that's big and kind of like abstract enough, like, you know, I want us to go from this MRR to this MRR. Well, there's a lot of ways to get there. And so that's where I find kind of doing like a second tier of like, okay, support. And we just hired a success team, success team. Like what, what contribution can you make towards this goal? Like, what can you do to help us reach this goal? Uh, so you kind of have this like cascading effect. And that's where the idea of like, well, what, how much money, more money would we make if we got the adoption of this add-on from 30% to 50%. And we could come up with other ideas too, but that's probably big enough, you know, as far as from a goal standpoint, you know, development team, well, what can you do to help us hit this revenue goal? And I think that's like the hardest, hardest department to like put a, you know, a number on, but it's like that requires us to have a lot of discipline around when customers are asking for a feature or which we, we need to estimate the value of everything. At least we try to, and I don't know that we do a great job, but it's like, we know that we have one thing that hopefully we'll be launching soon and we've done the math and we think it's worth about 2000 in MRR between kind of current customers that are kind of working around what we have now uh, and then future customers and then, you know, kind of a, a rough estimation of like what what it might be useful, what, what use that might be made to another team. So we can say, okay, cool. Well, you know, maybe, you know, the development team, they're responsible for generating 5K in MRR over this quarter. 
And then we can kind of track like, oh, well, we prevented this customer from churning or, you know, whatever the case is. We'll see how that goes. Everybody else is a little bit more discreet of like marketing. You are top of funnel focused. I want you to increase top of funnel by 5% month over month. And we can show that. And we, we track marketing all the way up to like a PQL stage, which is basically where sales picks up. Uh, and then sales is sort of tracked. There is overlap, but goes from a PQL all the way through to close. So that's kind of how we... We've been setting it up, but we're still very, you know, I've been with Bear Metrics for like like eight or nine months. And one of those months I was, you know, in Texas during the freeze where we had no, oh, no power yeah. or water and, you know, everybody caught COVID and that sort of stuff too. So, it's, you know, it's been a relatively short period of time. So, yeah, I think that's kind of like the high level structure. And I think in, you know, you know, about two months from now, I'll have a picture of like how, how good of a setup that was and how and that's definitely something to your point I'll look at. It's like, well, how you know, do people feel empowered? Like, was this something, was this a goal that people felt like they could contribute to? Uh, did it make sense to them? Did they know when to ask for help? Did it cause like good interaction between teams? Like, the, you know, did we, did we pit teams against each other? You know, did they, mm-hmm. you know, were the marketing team and sales team, did they become, you know, bitter enemies or did that actually, did that have the sales team like, oh, we just had this great sales call. And as soon as I showed them this feature, their eyes lit up. So they might want to tell the marketing team that's like, hey, find me more people that are looking for this thing. So we'll see. We'll see if that happens or not. But that's kind of my that's kind of my goal at the end of the quarter. Got it. Got it. One one thing that the, you describing that made me think is that a a big kind of litmus test for us has been when we roll these out and we we say to to the leaders of of a group, this is your thing. If they if they start squirming in their chair, that's a bad sign to to me. Right, that like this is not the right person in this role, and and I think it can, like you said, ca- cascade down them from there to where like the success team can say to the individual members, okay, this is our thing, you know, I need you all to be on board, and and we all need to be accountable for this thing. If then you know the individual customer support rep says like you know whatever, no, that's not my problem. I'm just here to answer tickets. Like that's a bad sign. So like I think that again, going back to like values and screening against those things, you know, people being comfortable with the level of ownership that we're giving them is, is a big indicator of, of kind of their success with us. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I think it's, it is sort of interesting because you're the one setting the goals, but you're not, you're delegating it. You're telling someone else to do it. So Hmm. it's almost like, you know, when I see the person squirm, when I give the goal, you know, there's a part for me too, where I'm like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, yeah, I just gave yeah. you, I just gave you a really big goal, and you know, I'm asking you to maybe like uh, double your effective output from last month or last last quarter. You have three, you have three months to you know get twice as good at what you're doing. So yeah, I don't know. I, I find myself in that position too, where I, I don't. I try to. I, you can cross reference my my teammates, but maybe like I, I think I, I look very stoic and like I'm like, yes, yes, this is the path. We are we're headed towards the stars. And you know, inside I'm kind of like, you know, nervously, <laughs> nervously sweating about you know the, the the path that I have out ahead and say like, yeah, I get it. And there's a lot, there's a lot for us to figure out to hit our goals. But the alternative is what? Like we just do the same stuff over right. and over again. Right. We don't make progress. Like that doesn't that doesn't sound like any fun. Yeah. And and really they should see you working just as hard as everyone else. And so right. like, I think that's the thing that allows us to say this with a straight face. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, I think certainly 
it's something I check myself on all the time, maybe too much, but it's like, yeah, like, hey, am I, am I putting, you know, both the time and the effort in? Am I focused in the right places? Mm-hmm. Like, did I spend the whole day on Twitter? You know, like, that's like, <laughs> that's like a really, uh, a really bad sign for me of like, oh, well, you know, I wanted to do something that felt like work and, you know, kind of has an inbox type feel to it. But yeah, I think like keeping yourself honest with that is, is really, because to your, your point, you know, you're you're delivering these goals and these objectives and you need to make sure that you know any you need to make sure you're not squirming first if you're squirming you know it's like then everybody else on the team is going to be like well like he knew this this he knew this this goal was not achievable like you know look at him he's like you know he's hiding under his desk he's not even on screen when he's telling (laughs) us about it like okay clearly this is not this is not uh you know a real goal we can't we don't have to we have to take this seriously yeah, absolutely. The one other thing that I'll say, and that I, I want to, before we, we run out of time here, I want to talk to you a little bit more about, you know, kind of the, the transition period for you. One other thing that I found that's really useful is like when you set that goal, probably something you already do, but we do department meetings once a week. And I'm really pushing, even though that it's a new thing, I'm like, all right, before we get into anything else that we've done for the week, how are we doing towards our goal? And like, hopefully we've, we've delivered a quantifiable goal that we can Uh, report against, but I find it's really interesting of like, okay, here's like, uh, we didn't make any progress towards our goal this week. And then here's everything we did. And it's like, oh, none of that stuff that we did really could even logically contribute to the goal that we set. And so I think it's just like almost with, without you even have to say say anything, it's like, yeah, oh, right. Like we didn't make any progress on our goal. We're aware of that. And we also didn't do anything to make progress on our goal. Maybe next week we should not do that. <laughs> maybe we should, maybe, you know, and it's like really hard, especially I think the biggest transition for us is going from the team members handling so much and having so many different things thrown at them to really get into a place of focus. It's like, okay, well, we can't, if we want to sell this add-on, then we're not doing feature training or we're not developing a, you know, a video series or we're not, you know, we're focusing on this one goal and anything that will contribute to that. That's what we need to focus on. But it's really easy, you know, at our size company to there's an endless, literally an endless amount of things that you could do. So really almost like it's almost like you're taking the pressure off of them. I'm like, hey, this is the only number I'm looking at. So you feel comfortable going for this goal and focusing on it 100% because this is where this is where we want to see success this quarter. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the the part that we're just getting into. Yeah. And and it's super hard. I mean, there's customers asking for this thing and we as, you know, people that use the product all the time want this thing and we want to deliver chat support to customers instead of just right. email and all, all these things and it's it is really hard to say no to yourself <laughs> to to all sure. of these things every day and yes. I'm terrible at it and yeah. <laughs> But again, like we're talking about this as a spectrum, you know, like I'm proud of us for for having the goals, checking in on the goals every week, just like you're saying, both in our team meeting and individual like groups, we, we check in against the goal. And and I think the next phase, you know, or the next step in the process is really being diligent about not doing nothing but the goal, but but making very sure that the goal is taken care of uh, yes. and we have the people and the resources and the focus towards it. And if we have extra of, of anything else, then then we can do this other thing that's that's not the goal. But yeah, we're not there yet. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of like the the no assholes thing from earlier of like, it sounds like really easy and really obvious to give the advice of like, 
you know, focus on the goal and say no to everything else. Mm-hmm. But in practice, like all that other stuff, it's like, it doesn't feel like a distraction in the moment. It feels like, oh, this would be really useful. Like this is going to be really great. Or like, you know, not to harp on like the success team, but I feel like the success team's always interacting with customers and like, oh, well, you know, we could just create a video series around this, or we could, you know, create a product tour, or we could, you know, do whatever. Like, and like, wow, this could really, it's not just like a fun cool thing to do. It's like, this could really improve our conversion rate. You know, the, the, it's like actual benefits to the business. And so those are the ones that are very difficult to say like, hey, don't worry about that right now. Uh, because, you know, they might bring that to me and be like, yeah, I think I can improve our conversion rate, but you know, whatever, improve it by 5%. And it's like, pretty difficult from a leadership perspective to be like, nah, we don't, you know, we it's don't not on the list. <laughs> we don't need, yeah, we don't need more customers. What we need is this other thing that I said, you know, a month and a half ago. That's what we need. But I, I do feel like that's the level of focus. And like, that's like, that's where it gets hard, but it does feel like, and I don't know, like, again, this, we're, I'm very early on in this too. You might talk to me in, you know, three or four months and I might say, yeah, no, that was a, everything I said, that was bad. Like, don't do, ooh, ooh boy, that was really awful. But from early indications, so I was like, those are the, the difficult decisions are the ones that are going to yield. And then eventually people come around and they, you know, we start seeing eye to eye and we're, we're speaking the same language. And then the, everybody has alignment of like, okay, cool. I could just, you, you build that, that new habit, that new muscle memory of like, yeah, well, we just don't work on stuff outside the goal. And then everything gets a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. It seems. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have an answer for this, but I, I have noticed that the, the kind of whiplashing that we did in our early years of, of team members of today, this is the thing and tomorrow, literally today. And then tomorrow, this is the thing is exhausting, you know, and, and giving people the calmness of saying, Hey, for this period of time, or at least I'm going to declare, you know, that this is the thing for the quarter and it might change, but, but like you, you, you have a degree of certainty that this is the, the big thing we're going to focus on for the quarter gives them some, some kind of peace at work, I think. And the other thing is like, you've probably seen this over and over too, is there is never the, Hey, this will take me a half a day and it'll improve our conversion rate by 5%, right? It ends up being a three week thing that it's two developers and a designer. And then like, (laughs) it just like, it's never that easy. Is yeah, maybe is has basic. no effect. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be like I mean, it's just yeah. there is never like one of our one of our developers said, if you ever talk to an integration partner and they tell you it'll take a day, tell them to fuck off. <laughs> don't right. even continue yeah. the discussion because like nothing is that easy. And and like totally we don't want to be this this big behemoth, but like everything takes time and everything takes focus. And when you add this other thing, then you're inherently taking away from something else. Yeah. And not to get too esoteric, but I do feel like there is that, you know, when you have the, there is this like kind of psychological aspect of when you have a really difficult email to write, or you're doing something that's like challenging, both challenging and consequential, like, oh, I need to like write up this contract for this customer and I really have to get it right. You know, there, there is that tendency to like, well, let's just go pop over to Twitter real quick. Cause that's, or whatever, you know, not to, not to beat up on Twitter, but like, it's like, what's an easy thing to do that can kind of give me kind of a quick gratification and it feels like I'm doing something, but I'm not actually doing anything. And I think there's the same thing of like, when you set a quarterly goal, like within the first, you know, one to three weeks, you've already done everything. That's kind of like easy. It's like, okay, well, let's just email all of our customers and tell them about this add-on. And then you're going to get some success from that, but probably not as much as you want. And then there's going to be that inclination of like, okay, well, 
maybe there's this other kind of similarly like straightforward thing to do versus it's like, well, if we want to get complete success and towards this goal, we're going to have to dig in and we're going to like, we're going to have to push to that second level, you know, like the, the cardio workout where you get to like the, the second, you know, 30 minutes and they're like, oh my God, I, I've, I'm only halfway through. And it's like, you know, that, that last 15 minutes, you know, is more effort than, you know, the entire 45 minutes before it. So I, I think there is some component of that, of setting the goal and not changing it over the course of the quarter can begin to develop that muscle memory and that expertise of like, yeah, well, like we, we've learned that to completely hit the goals that we want, especially if they're challenging goals, that's when we have to, that's when we have to develop the, the mental capacity to like dig in and really like, it's going to get hard. It's, it's going to be like, and there, there will be easier, there will be things that will feel like they're easier and, you know, have more effect because you're, you know, there's always low hanging fruit all over the place. So I think that's the other important component of like, you will actually, you know, actually dive in and be like, okay, cool. Well, we've already done all the easy stuff to do and we haven't hit our goal. What, what's next? How do we, how do we keep going? How do we either gain more information or how do we try something else out or, you know, trying <laughs> like uh, when all else fails, just try some random shit and <laughs> throw it out there. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, let's try. And, you know, then you're going to find some things that are going to hit and you're going to start making, you know, you'll hit the initial bump of progress and then it'll be flat or zero. And then it'll slowly start ramping back up. And that's when you get like really nice, like network effects from that point forward. I don't want us to run out of time here, but I want to kind of like zoom back. I, I had a little, you know, bookmark in our, in our timeline. So you were, you were just starting and doing a podcast. I'm curious, what did you, what was your process like to, you went from kind of nothing to starting? Like, how did you get your first guests? Like, how did you, how did you even get that initial venture going? I, I got my first couple of guests from a, like a community I was a part of. Talked about Rob Walling and startups for the rest of us. They have, you know, kind of, online community and and connected with a few folks there and and that's kind of how I got started and then just you know other people they knew and other podcasts that existed in in this space is is kind of how I went and then like the question after you interview somebody is hey who else do you think I should talk to around this topic right. or in this space is a really great way to keep getting guests that's awesome and then did it kind of just build on itself from there you kind of like once you got the, the the first couple, maybe were the most challenging. And then from there, it's like, oh, well, now we have kind of like what we were just saying. Now I have more ideas of, you know, than I need of who, who I should talk to and who I should go after. Yeah, I think that the world does open up a fair bit there. Back in the day when I started, it was six years ago, like getting people on a podcast was in a lot of ways easier and, and in some ways harder because a lot of people hadn't heard of a podcast, but but there certainly was less competition for, for people's airtime. But yeah, I mean, I think it, it's kind of just like you try to be aspirational a bit of like, who who do I want to get on to, to connect with and network with? Who do I want to learn from? And who do I think would have an interesting story to tell? And And like, if someone ticks any of those boxes, then for me, they're a good guest. Awesome. And then how did you go from that phase like at what point did you realize like hey this process of doing all this stuff like without software kind of sucks like how did you how did you make that shift and when did that happen mm. that that shift to like podcast motor as a business happened really quick like in the first couple of weeks or first couple of episodes I should say you know first couple of weeks you know kind of said hey I you know, I'm doing all this stuff. This is a hassle, but I'm getting pretty decent at it. Should reach out to a few podcasters I know and see if they'd be interested. And and I did, and they were. So put up a you know, website and 
hooked up Stripe to Gravity Form or something like that, I think. And yeah, was was away and had some paying customers. And then that kind of compounded and compounded. And then through one of our customers there actually got introduced to the, the person that had written the WordPress plugin that we ended up acquiring. It's a WordPress plugin in the podcasting space. And, and that's how Castos as the hosting platform got started is we acquired this WordPress plugin called Seriously Simple Podcasting and you know built the hosting platform to connect to it. And we've kind of gone from there. That's awesome. How long were you in that phase of you know, kind of still still working and also you know in that in-between time of like, I'm not quite full-time yet, but I'm still spending most or all of my free time on on this uh, this project slash company, yeah, too long. A year and a half. And was that was that all during the beginning of the podcast? Were, were you still were you working another job during that that timeline? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was working my you know corporate sales job and doing this kind of nights and weekends and stuff, and wow. it was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> I could never do it again. Yeah. Did you do the acquisition while you were still working a full time job? No, uh-uh. no, that was okay. afterwards. Yeah, got it. So you you went. What was the what was the timeline between then of going full time to engaging in an acquisition? It's about six months. Wow. Okay. Well, that's pretty quick. Yeah. Was that was that just sort of a, a serendipity thing of like, oh, well, I I know someone who knows this person, or were you actively like, yeah, I'm kind of, I want us to to bite off a little bit of a bigger chunk here. It was very much serendipitous. Yeah. I mean, just a, a friend who was also a customer, you know, said, Hey, I know this guy who wrote this plugin. He's looking to to get rid of it, you know, introduced us and it went from there. Yeah. They knew that I was looking to do something more than just run a podcasting, you know, service. And and so that's probably why why we came to mind as a potentially good fit. It sounds like you you the the secret did it. <laughs> yeah. You put it on your put it on your vision board. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Put it out in the world. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that I don't know if I've ever heard of a story of someone, you know, had gone full time with their company and in the first six months gone through an acquisition. Did you have any like MA experience before doing that? No. And 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 to be fair, it was not a big deal in terms of like dollar amounts. But no, I had not had any M&A experience. Since then, kind of have gotten the bug and we've acquired uh, some other companies and assets and stuff like that. It's, oh, wow. it's a cool, cool it's a cool way to grow for sure. And something we have sites on doing more of. Yeah. Interesting. What what advice would you have for people if they're if they're in a space where, you know, maybe there are, I guess appropriately <laughs> appropriately priced assets out there for, you know, whatever's, you know, relative. It doesn't happen doing. much these days. Yeah. <laughs> in our world. Yeah, it's interesting. What, what I mean, and maybe that's your advice. Maybe your advice is like, probably don't. Yeah. I mean, it like for us, like it just made all the sense in the world. You know, it was this yeah. tool that was not monetized at all. So it was not very expensive. We saw a very clear path from a product perspective of how to monetize it. And it, and it had like this built-in audience of free users that we could convert some of them to paying customers of our hosting service. So like the the plan was really obvious. Other people in the space had done it already. And so like the model was proven. And, and so like from that perspective, the the risk was understood as much as I as much as I could understand it. And I think the place where people get into trouble is like you look at Tumblr. You know, and like how many right. times has Tumblr bounced around? <laughs> yeah. You know, because yeah. I think those companies had no idea what to do with it. And it looked like a cool thing and a blogging tool. Oh, great. Yahoo. And, you know, now automatic and like, well, 
you know, like Automatic's a, a great company and one of our investors. Like, what the heck are they doing <laughs> with Tumblr, right? right? Like, right. they they have a really good blogging system already. Like, what I, I just don't. So, so that that's just like one thing I would say is like have a really good idea of what you're going to do with this, and then all the the stuff about you know due diligence and metrics and and all of that absolutely has to make sense. And there's plenty that's been written about how to do that. But but I think from my perspective, it's like ha, ha, do you have an idea of how this thing fits into either your existing business and customer base and and that whole kind of acquisition funnel, or or can you imagine how you could create that? Yeah, well, that's that's really interesting. So I. I'm sort of split because yeah, I agree. And I've seen, you know, I've seen firsthand a number of acquisitions that have blown up or uh, ones that, you know, and we've all heard the stories of ones that have succeeded. I think, you know, Google's relatively notorious for buying something and playing with it for a little bit and then shutting it down after the fact. So on one hand, there, there's certainly the case of like, it's very dangerous and you really have to like, have a really clear thesis. When you buy something, you kind of have to like, you kind of have to like know something that they don't or like, you know, to your point, like, well, they just never spent any time or effort or had no interest in getting people to pay for this plugin. It's like, okay, well, we have the capability to ask people for money for this. So, and it, you know, it's directly in the product offering that we have and we could sell it to our existing customers. Although that is something I, I think a lot of people say to themselves and that turns out not to be true. A lot of times I could probably do a separate, uh, separate, power on that. <laughs> so the, on one hand, that's kind of like all like, Hey, like, don't, don't do this. Like, don't, don't do acquisitions. It's time consuming. There's a lot of generally a lot of emotion involved of like your, so this is something that somebody really loves and they've worked on and, you know, probably hasn't quite gone the way that they wanted to go. So you have to be really thoughtful and really present for that while you're also running the rest of your company. So that's all like, don't do it. But then on the other hand, I can't help but imagine it's like, especially with like micro acquire existing now of like, just having like, you know, a monthly or quarterly search on microacquire, like, hey, is there any sort of like value added plugin that would make sense for us? And, you know, maybe this is a quick way for us to increase, you know, what? how easy is it to get like a 10% MRR increase? Like that's pretty hard. So if you can do it through an acquisition and, you know, even make some bit of sense, then maybe it's worth, <laughs> maybe it's worth checking out. I think it's, it's a really interesting and something I've just literally never thought about before, but maybe that's the way to that is a way to to go, or, or maybe that's a good way to like provide advice that drives a lot of otherwise very good companies into the ground. <laughs> like, oh yeah, like we were going great, but then we did this acquisition that caused us to pause for six months on what we were doing, and then it fell apart and it was you know expensive and legal fees, and then we went out of business. So yeah, I think both both are very true, right? There's the but they're they're always more complicated. They take more time and resources and focus, you know, away from from your other priorities. But if it works right, then it's a great opportunity to have, you know, inorganic growth if everything lines up. And if you have the capacity, you know, financial and people and focus, you know, to spare, then then it's a really good thing. But but I think it's harder to get a really good fit than we all tell ourselves. Yeah. Maybe it's impossible. I'm trying to like, sure, I don't know. It's, yeah. fu- it's funny to like listen to myself where I'm going back and forth between like, there's no way this could ever work or maybe it's the best idea I've ever heard. Uh, like I've got like, like on the, on the line between those two. So yeah, well, I guess this the is the truth not, um, is probably somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is not, this is not financial advice. This is yeah. not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, not a, a financial planner or uh, yeah anything of that nature. So cool. I want to, I want to, it's been, this has been awesome. We've been chatting for, for quite a long time now. I just want to bring us in for 
a little bit of a, a soft landing here. I'd love to just you know give you a minute to talk about uh, where you're at today with the business and what you have going on, and then also if there's anything you want to draw anybody's attention to. You know, you mentioned the the podcast, and it seems like you are quite fluent in the world of podcasting. So just give you a little chance to like you know give a little quick update. Well, first of all, it's really really great discussion. I I do a lot of podcasting, and this is a, a really really quick chat. So so thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I mean, you know, folks want to want to check out what we're doing at Castos. We're at castos.com, C A S T O S. You know, one of the the big focuses for us and and kind of emerging area of podcasting is private podcasting. Uh, so think about like membership site for podcasting. Charge money and you know hook it up to your your online course or membership site or, or SaaS app to to offer like more of a personalized podcasting experience to a select group. So it's it's a lot of our focus right now. And folks, you know, want to learn more about podcasting, you can you can Google it with our name and you'll see a bunch of blog posts that we've written on it that that maybe we could include in the show notes here. But yeah, I mean would would love to connect with anybody. If you have any questions at all, you know, shoot us a message, castus.com and uh, and would love to talk podcasting with anybody who who's interested and hasn't kind of taken the dive yet. Awesome. That's great, Craig. Yeah, I, I love I love the private podcasts. Send it out to uh, a membership community or you know, your customers of your app have like a, a private, you know, customers only podcast or something like that. That's just such a such a great idea and helps bridge the gap a little bit of how do you make money off of these things? <laughs> like, sure. yep. so I feel like you would have loved to have had in the early days too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Awesome, Craig. Well, yeah, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We will have all the uh, all the links and all the, the resources mentioned today in the, in the description. And yeah, thanks again, Craig. Thanks, Brian. Have a good one. That was our conversation with Craig Hewitt, founder of Castos. If you're looking for a little bit of help with your podcast, or maybe you're looking to launch a private podcast, you know where to go. Castos, C-A-S-T-O-S dot com. If it's SaaS analytics you're looking for, then you can check us out bearmetrics.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode and invite you to check out our other founder chats. If you're able to share with a friend or leave a review, it goes a long way. Thanks for listening.